Welcome to another episode of the Legal Marketing Studio, the bi-weekly podcast examining best-in-class examples of branding, strategy, content, and technology in legal marketing. We are devoted to exploring successful initiatives, innovative campaigns, promising technologies, or effective proven strategies for developing new business at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry, providing the full gamut of photography services for law firms. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'm speaking with Edie Reinhardt of RDT Content Marketing. Edie's specialty is B2B marketing. As a former practicing attorney and business publisher, she has a particular affinity for working with professional services firms. Her client base includes legal, accounting, and financial firms, as well as business consultants. She believes strongly in the power of great content to get you noticed, showcase why you're special, and engage and build trust with your audience. Having worked for large and small companies where she managed content development, marketing, and strategy, she brings a distinctive perspective on content creation and distribution. Her strength lies in her deep understanding of every aspect of creating and leveraging content to maximize results. Edie, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you, Michael. All right. So let's just start with a 30,000-foot view of what is content marketing? What are we talking about? Sure. Um, Content marketing is about sharing useful information um, with a very targeted audience with the idea of getting some business benefit out of that. So maybe you're trying to increase your brand awareness or you're trying to get more leads or build your web traffic. Uh, The idea behind it, of course, is that you educate your audience instead of pitching to them. So you're using content as a way to showcase your expertise, prove that you actually know what you're talking about, um, instead of talking about how great you are. Um, Do you have some examples of how clients are using uh, this kind of marketing? Sure. So, you know, of course, blogging is a really big thing now, and it has a lot of benefits, um, you know, both from a SEO perspective, as well as for fueling your social media and email marketing. So blogging is very prevalent. You've got newsletters. There's, of course, the traditional stuff, you know, placing articles in third-party publications, speaking in front of groups. Webinars are a great tool to use because sometimes it's hard to get people to come to you um, for events. So all of those are different content marketing vehicles. So in in this conversation, we're talking about content. Um, And content could be audio, it could be video, it could be image-based. But specifically, we're talking about writing here. I mean, that's that's your expertise, correct? Yes. And even these other things, they're always going to come back to writing in some way. Correct. Yeah. For video, you need a script. Um, if you're going to do same thing with audio, so there's a lot of things that you you go back. And even if you started with, a, let's say you did a, a live presentation someplace, you can get that recorded and get it transcribed and then take that that transcription and turn it into blog posts or articles. You know, it's very easy then. Uh, right. And something there that, that I think is important is, you know, you put this effort into writing one piece of content uh, and you can really use it across different channels and repurpose it. Yeah. Should that be a, a standard with with this kind of marketing? Absolutely. Because it's really hard to create compelling content. So once you've actually got it out of your head and down some place in some kind of format, then if you can recycle that into different formats for potentially even different audiences, that's great. It's it's a huge time saver. It gives you a much better return on investment in having created the content. Uh, I was at a presentation recently and someone described the legal industry as as generally a content industry, right? There's already a lot of words yeah. out there in legal. There's a lot of writing happening in legal, but it's not always in the right voice or the right tone for content marketing. I, was, I, was, I wanted to talk a bit about writing for 
I guess, for readability and readability for different audiences. Right. I mean, lawyers are very used to writing for other lawyers. You know, if let's say whether they're a contract lawyer or a litigator, you know, they're typically what they're writing is for another person that's like them. And that's where their comfort zone is. So when they're trying to think of their ultimate client who is not necessarily a lawyer, it's a business person, it's a consumer, it's unnatural for them. They, they want to write more than they need to, like go into the, the technical details. That's something that a lot of lawyers do. People aren't interested. They don't want to go weed through all of that. Um, you, you know, they lose, you're going to lose their attention and you're going to overcomplicate things for them. So you want to just think, um, Again, what's the knowledge level of your ultimate audience here? When you talk to clients, what are the kinds of questions that they ask you? And, you know, what, what sort of information? And that's how you want to write. You want to write the way that you would respond to them if you were having a, you know, face-to-face meeting and they were asking you to explain something. You know, I think part of this is writing simply, but there's also having a voice, having a personality in the writing, which partly comes back to a firm's brand or an attorney's brand, you know, who are they at their core and how do you write to that? Do you have any thoughts on uh, developing a voice in in the writing for content marketing? Well, if it's something that's going to be very individual, you know, in some firms, it's about the individual, a lot of firms, it's about the individual attorney as opposed to the the firm as a whole. Uh, And so if it's the individual attorney, then great. You know, what is their personality? Do they tend to be, uh, you know, a little bit funny or, you know, sarcastic? Although obviously you have to be careful about stuff like that because it doesn't always translate into writing. But, you know, it's okay to bring that into your writing because it just makes it more readable. It gives people a better sense of who you are, which is also part of content marketing is, you know, showing people, you know, that you know what you're talking about and who you really are. Storytelling. And, you know, when it's a firm, you know, it could be a little tough because if you've got multiple people that are producing content and, you know, they, they all have their different styles, and which may or may not mesh perfectly with, with what the firm brand is. So it is a little bit challenging. I mean, I feel like when I, I don't want to, I, I don't believe in editing with a heavy hand. You know, I want someone's real voice to come out. So it, it can be challenging. I mean, you could set certain parameters, things like, you know, editorial guidelines, you know, how you're going to use, you know, the types of terminology you're going to use, you know, the way that you refer to certain things, you know, so you can set certain standards that can help with that. But ultimately, unless you're going to have one person that's sort of going to take everybody's ideas and and put it into one voice, I don't think it's a perfect match. You know, it's not it's going to be hard to be completely consistent from one person to another. So even at a a medium size or large firm where multiple attorneys are, you know, either writing blogs or perhaps they're doing a a podcast, whatever they're doing, it's okay for that voice to drift a little bit, but there should be on some level a firm voice that's going to, you know, tie them together. Right. Because again, you know, you know what the firm's mission is, you know, what the kind of clients are that they're interested in. And so you want to make sure that everybody's speaking to that, that you all understand what the goals are of the firm. Are they looking to build a certain practice? You know, so those are kind of the underlying, uh, you know, objectives that are there. And again, you may want to have people use certain terminology, have that be standard throughout. So those kinds of things are all doable. 
But as I said, you know, little quirks of language that people have, you know, you if you totally sanitize it, then you might as well just have one person doing everything. Well, and it'll feel like, dead. <laughs> it is, right. exactly. Why are you going to come, you know, you want to... You want to have that personal you, – you want to go and see that attorney's post. You know, you want the audience to think, oh, right. he's always really interesting and he writes in a really compelling way. I want to read his posts. Yeah. And that if you do it the same for everyone but just the byline change, changes, it doesn't, it doesn't have that. Right. I agree with that. Now, for, for, say, a solo attorney, they do want to have a consistent voice, correct? Meaning for them, the firm voice and their voice is one and the same. Correct. So across their content, you they do want to have a, a single voice. Yes. I mean, you know, you have – I mean, obviously – so, you know, there, there are going to be differences when you're talking to different audiences, of course. You know, as I said, you know, lawyers talking to other lawyers is very different than lawyers talking to clients. So there's going to be those kinds of um, differences. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, who, whatever that personality is, those, as I said, quirks in writing – that are there, you know, you should, presumably that person's going to be pretty consistent. And like I said, if you have an, an editor looking at it, assuming like the lawyer is being the writer and, you know, you're just editing, you know, you want to edit and make sure that you're keeping that flavor in there. Related to this, you know, this, this concept of tone, right? The tone of the writing. Do you have any thoughts on, on the kinds of tone people want to have their, this content should be? Should it be upbeat? Should it be serious? Should it be I mean, you clearly want to avoid sarcastic and flip, perhaps. Right. Well, you know, you also have to know what, you know, who's your audience and what are you talking about? You know, if you're a MedMal attorney, uh, you know, you want to watch how you talk about, you know, the devastating injuries that are, you know, will happen. If you're a corporate lawyer, there's always that sense of, you know, you don't want to be talking about every horrible thing that can happen, but you also want to make it clear that, you know, there's some complex issues involved. So, you you know, you don't want to minimize those either because the point is you want them to come and call you up. Right. So, you know, you, you have to kind of think of what it is that you're communicating and who you're communicating it to. You don't want to get, again, lost in the weeds where you're being super technical or you're coming across as, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, the academic, you know, there's certain things you want to avoid, you know, you don't want to be lecturing to people, because that's going to bore them as well as, you know, have you come across as being very arrogant, and maybe possibly condescending. So you want to think about that having language that is more normal conversation, and express empathy, depending on what the situation is, the understanding with your, your potential client, those are the kinds of things that you want to express in your tone. You started that answer by talking about knowing the audience, and we didn't really talk about this. But how specific should should an attorney be or a firm be in identifying the target audience before even starting to write anything? It's very important. I recommend creating what's called a buyer persona, but basically it's just a, a profile of what your ideal client is. And, you know, you can get really, really specific going into the demographics, you know, age, gender, uh, you know, income, profession, you know, knowledge about the issue. If it's a business, you know, what's their job title? What are their responsibilities? You know, really kind of understanding who they are, where you find them, and what are their interests and pain points? Because ultimately, that's what's going to make your content interesting is if you're speaking to the things they want to hear about, not the things you want to talk about. I'm sure you've seen the, the film Field of Dreams. Do you remember the, the Kevin Costner film? Oh, from Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Right. Um, 
and, and the whole thing, it's like, if you build it, they will come, right? right? I'm not sure that's true in content marketing. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, so once you've built it, once you've built that, that content and you've started to publish it, what do you have to do around it to promote it to make sure that it gets seen? How much work is there to do to make content marketing work? Well, you want to use as many marketing channels as you can. So, for example, email. You know, you've got an email um, database. You should be sending out emails to promote those new blog posts. Social media. You know, use every single one of your channels to get that content out. And, you know, think about, you know, in some cases you can actually promote it multiple times. Like, so, for example, Twitter. You know, you can tweet out that blog post, you know, five, six, seven times um, over the course of days or a week, you know, in order to get more likelihood that someone will see it. Um, on social media, you know, there, again, there'll be different outlets. LinkedIn, you might be able to use groups as well as, you know, individual accounts, firm accounts. So there's all different ways that you can help to promote that. Of course, also, you know, your blogs should have some optimization behind it, SEO optimization, so that if people are searching for those terms, hopefully you'll show up higher in the search rankings. There's also, of course, paid outlets, which for some people might be appropriate. You know, you could pay to boost your post on any of the social media channels. You've got pay-per-click. You know, whether it makes sense from a financial standpoint, you've got to make that assessment. Um, for an individual blog post, it may not necessarily make sense. But if you're promoting, let's say, an event or something else, you know, where you're going to get bodies in to meet with us or generate real leads, then it might make more sense to make, you know, spend money like that. In there, you mentioned two things and I want to start with uh, SEO, not talking about SEO specifically and keywording and all of that, but how much should people be writing to uh, the algorithm, to the machine aspect of it? I was just... Um, I just saw a co-schedule, I think it's called, has a tool that you can test your headline. Right. And it judges it based on all these different categories in terms of how clickable is it? How likely is that to get clicked on? I, what it told me is I'm a terrible headline writer. Um, but I also don't feel comfortable writing the kind of headline that's going to get clicks just for the sake of getting clicks. I don't. So, you know, how concerned should people be with writing to get seen on SEO? or writing to get that click-through and being very specific about trying to get that click-through. Does that make sense? It does. My personal feeling is that you try and have a, a middle ground there because you don't want to completely ignore you know, the concept of keywords and, and the search engine optimization. But at the same time, you know, a lot of times their recommendations just don't sound natural. And especially when you're dealing with content that is, you know, technical. I mean, even as much as you might, you know, dumb it down, there's still a lot of components to it that don't fit the model because it's not like, you know, writing about, I don't know, your favorite sneaker or something like that. You know, it's a different kind of um, information set. And, you know, what's most important is that you convey that useful information, even if it's not exactly meeting that algorithm. Because also too, you know, the a lot of times with law firms, I mean, certainly it's great to be found organically, and I don't in, un in any way minimize that. But also a lot of what happens with lawyers is that, you know, someone got your name from someplace, and they're going online to check you out. So that writing that you did, the blogs or whatever, are building your credibility. 
and and it has a huge value there. And so you want to make sure that, you know, above anything else, you're writing something that's highly useful to the person that's reading it, even if it doesn't meet that perfect algorithm. But like I said, you don't want to ignore that either. And so you kind of come up with a mixed bag, you know, something in between. That's my personal opinion. I'm sure there's SEO companies out there that would argue completely the other way. Well, I think, you know, as you promote it, you know, you're thinking there's the short term, right? You want to get people to see it, probably particularly clients who you're already working with or potential clients that you're speaking with. And you're there in the sales funnel. But then there's that long tail aspect of it, which is, as you were saying, somebody gets your name and then they're going to go read about you. Or someone's doing a search six months, a year, two years after you've written that post, and then they're going to end up seeing it. So I think, you know, that aspect of you need it to be very relevant, uh, but you do need to consider a little bit that search engine aspect that, you know, the machine that, you know, the algorithms that are right. parsing it on that level for for search and, and other kinds of organic Search is the only word that's coming to mind. That's- yeah. Well, you know, again, certain topics are going to lend themselves to it more readily. And so there too, it's not as if it's that one blog post is the end all be all. You know, so maybe this blog post, you know, the SEO aspect didn't really work out because it just the nature of the topic is, is it would have made it really awkward. But the next topic could be perfect for it. You know, and ultimately, you know, you're driving traffic to your site. So it's all good. So as I said, I don't. I don't get paranoid about making sure that every piece is perfect because some are going to be better, some are going to be worse. That's just the nature of it. And that's why you produce lots and lots of content because at the end of the day, it's all helping you. Well, that, I, I guess, you know, having to do it regularly brings us to content planning. Writing is a lot of work, whether you're writing the script for a podcast, whether you're writing a blog post, even writing a couple of tweets a week takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes effort. And in order for content marketing to work, it has to be sustained over yes. time. And not only does it have to be sustained over time, but it has to be regular. It has to be, it can't just be three weeks and then one week and then it's a month and you've done it in a year, but you've only had 13 posts, right? right? That doesn't necessarily make sense. You know, how can either individual attorneys or firms that are a little larger uh, plan their content marketing in such a way that it is consistent and that it does last? Right. Well, an editorial calendar is crucial. And, you know, what you're doing there is you're pre-planning, you know, what topics you're going to cover, you're setting deadlines, and really big key is you're assigning responsibility, you know, who's going to do what? Because, of course, that's, you know, if you just magically assume it'll happen, it's not going to happen. I do recommend that, you know, at least quarterly, you kind of brainstorm topics, now, obviously, if there's something that newsworthy that comes up, you know, you can always slot it in. But there's always topics that are that are always of interest, you know, kind of the evergreen topics. And, you know, you can just slot that in so that when, let's say, somebody's week is coming up and they don't have to scramble for what am I supposed to write about? You know, you've sort of kind of outlined a topic that they could be writing on. And, you know, so it just helps to eliminate the last minute brainstorming. This way you kind of do it, you know, I'll do it today for the next three months and then, you know, I'll do it again. And this way you're always just kind of prepared. You know, it's not perfect because obviously people always have things that come up, but if you don't actually have a written calendar, it'll never happen. If you just wait for like you having a few minutes to spare, 
it'll never happen. It, it really needs to, you, you need to have all those components there. And you also want to set aside a budget for it, both a time and a money budget, even if it's all being done internally. But, you know, think about like how many hours of time is this going to take for who's ever doing it, you know, and make sure that that's budgeted in there. Because, you know, if you have somebody that's working 80 hours and you're saying, oh, yeah, you can here, you know, slot in another five hours, where are they going to put that, you know, and so it's a really important kind of thing to be thinking about as well. Uh, And when you're doing that content planning, so you've got the calendar, uh, how far in advance should people be brainstorming ideas? You know, some ideas are very topical. But some are very evergreen. How far in advance should people be planning and writing that calendar out? As I said, I mean, at least quarterly, but ideally you're doing it like almost like every quarter, but six months kind of thing where, you know, each time you'd be meeting every quarter and then kind of looking at the, not the next period, but the one after that. And as I said, there's always going to be stuff that comes up that's a hot topic that you're going to need to slot in. A lot of times you're not going to know what that is until you get to that point. So that, you know, that'll, that's just a reality of it. But, you know, for the evergreen topics, you know, people should have a pretty good idea six months in advance, the kinds of things, because again, it, it ties back to what your objectives are. You know, are you trying to build a certain practice area, uh, you know, a certain, trying to attract a certain kind of clientele. And so those are the kinds of things that you're writing about. And a lot of that is going to be, the same. You know, there won't be some huge change. I mean, if you're going to be writing about, you know, really specific legal issues, you know, that's different. Again, a lot of times when you're writing about those really specific legal issues, it's because you're writing to other attorneys. So again, that sort of goes into a different bucket. There's different kinds of content you have to handle a little bit differently. You know, to what degree should the content marketing have a, a narrative arc to it? So meaning if you're planning out three months or six months, is it okay to have, uh, say, a weekly blog post that's its own thing each week? Or should there be a planning where it's a series of articles that aren't necessarily, you know, parts one, two, three, and four, but that have a logical flow over the course of, say, a quarter or half a year or a year? Right. Well, again, if you're trying to tell like a, a single story, then, you know, you do want to have that kind of uh, arc. But if your blogging is about, you know, just discrete topics that might be of concern to a particular client, you know, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to have everything connect to the other things. I do urge, though, when you are blogging that if you can connect to prior, like link to prior blog posts, that's a great also SEO tactic. And it it also just helps people stay on your site longer. You know, if like you're writing about a topic and you say, oh, yeah, previously we talked about X and you link over to that blog post, it just keeps them on the site for a longer period of time. So even if there's not, let's just say you're not going, you know, every week like a serialized book or something, you can still use those kinds of tactics to remind people of other things that you've written that's related to the topic that you're talking about. What's great actually with blog posts is, you know, you can add those tags to it. So somebody that really is interested in the topic, if you've tagged it correctly, you know, they could click on that, you know, tag and see other blog posts that are related on that topic. How often should, you know, firms or attorneys go back through what they've written previously and perhaps clean up or correct things that have changed? And I'm thinking a couple of situations, you know, the first would be sort of the actual content of a website, which isn't content marketing. But since we're talking content, I thought I'd ask, um, you know, if something changes at the firm or if language doesn't make sense or if some particular 
case or some particular matter that was handled was highlighted in the website text, you know, outside of, say, a blog where it's going to change frequently, but your, your regular everyday text on the website, how often should that kind of text be revisited? Well, you know, if you're in a practice area where there does tend to be frequent changes in the law, you know, you probably should look at it at least once a year. Obviously, if it's, if, the area isn't isn't really prone to changes, and you're just talking about kind of the basic things like practice area descriptions and you know you're about the firm kind of thing. you know that type of stuff doesn't really isn't going to really change that much. If there is a significant thing that happened at the firm, you know you you added a new practice group or you lost a group or you know something like that, obviously you should revisit it and you'll probably be revisiting it. As anyway, a of right. Anyway, yeah. exactly. For like the a lot of that static text, usually the way it's written for most firms is it's it's so general that you know it's not likely to be impacted by you know a single law change. Now, a, a particular blog post though might be impacted by a, a, a single law change, right? You know, and and content on the web more or less lives forever. Should firms or attorneys be cleaning up? past blog posts that perhaps have are no longer relevant or the underlying law has changed and may give incorrect information. Well, it would be nice if that happened, but I haven't known a firm yet that really, you know, went that did that concerted kind of effort. I mean, at some point they may want to get rid of like really old posts, you know, with that view. What I do encourage firms to do and this kind of goes back to the repurposing idea is to, you know, periodically, even maybe when you're doing that quarterly um you know, brainstorming session for your content calendar is look back at some of your old posts and see whether some of them could just be updated and now they become a whole new post. Uh, it's a great way to recycle information and at the same time now bring it current, you know, without trying to dig through, you know, hundreds of old blog posts and trying to fix them all. Now, if someone were to do that, would they? Would you recommend deleting the original post? Or perhaps, unless it's no longer accurate, leaving it be just as a an SEO issue? You know, it's the kind of thing where you could delete it, but so much of that stuff, even if you deleted it, it could still ultimately be found. You know, you can clarify in your new blog posts that, oh, you know, as you know, there's been, you know, we've wrote it, written about this topic previously, but there's been a lot of changes. And so we're revisiting it. Um, so if anybody was looking at it, it'd be clear that, you know, it's since changed. But as I said, at some point, you know, especially if you're blogging regularly and you have a good amount of content on your site, you know, at some point, those old blog posts, you do want to just get off the site. You know, there's there's no reason to have them um, from years and years past. Some people just leave them on forever. But as long as you've got a good amount, because some people leave it on just for the SEO purpose. So that you have more than 10 posts. Right, exactly. So it's, you know, it, it depends on what you already have there. But if you're like religiously blogging, you know, every single week, you know, and so you're adding, let's say, 50 a year, you know, you could drop off 50 <laughs> and you'd be in the same spot. <laughs> right. Especially if you've been doing it for four, five, six, six seven years. years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's um, what I'm seeing. I mean, yeah, I've seen people that have like, you know, posts from like 2007. <laughs> Probably like, time to. Yeah, exactly. That. No, even if there really hasn't been that much change, you should probably just. Well, it's always also good to have new content. Right. Even if it's essentially the same content, it could be the same article, but just that, again, that from, change, the, yes. from the SEO aspect, the, you know, the machine algorithms that are parsing your information, new content is better than old content on the web. 
Right. Well, that's exactly why blogging is so great, because Google, when it's deciding those page rankings, is looking for relevant content that's updated frequently, which is exactly what blogs are. So I wanted to close with a little bit of advice. You know, three or four things that that make writing good, three or four things that attorneys or, or whoever's writing for the attorneys at a firm should be keeping in mind to make sure that the writing is good, but also so that it's effective. Well, the first thing would be think about the sort of the frequently asked questions that you get from clients or, you know, prospects or even your referral sources. What are the things they ask you? Because those are the kinds of things you should be writing about. I think also, you know, when you're thinking about like from clients' perspective, you know, what's easy for them to understand. I do think things like checklists are very helpful. Giving them, you know, examples are really good. You know, obviously, like a case study type of thing, but, you know, you don't have to name names or anything like that, but just kind of like how situations can arise and how you may have helped somebody. I think things like that could be really helpful. And, you know, again, thinking about from their perspective, you know, they want to have, they want to feel like they have some basic understanding of what's going on. And, you know, so I think thinking in terms of overviews, you know, spot the issues for them. I mean, I worked in publishing for many years and, you know, for, for years I did treatises. And so the idea was always like, you can't answer every question, but you could tell people these are the issues that they need to be thinking about. And that's the way you want to be thinking too, is, is that what are the issues that my client needs to be thinking about, whether I give them the answer or not. But, you, you know, you want to get uh, the juices flowing with them. You want to give them a like a trigger for them as to what it is that they should be concerned about um, so that they do come in or if they're already a client that they contact you to talk about certain issues. So those are all kinds of things of, you know, what you would want to do to write about. And, and again, you know, you want to speak in that voice for your client. What is it that, how, how will they understand it? What is their level of understanding? You know, if it's a high level of understanding, because you're dealing with very sophisticated business owners, well, that's a different thing than if you're dealing with a consumer that, you know, frankly, that's not their bailiwick. And then just to extend that, even though that was a close, but let's extend that. And then any technical aspects of writing that you think are really important, either in having that tone and that voice speak to the audience correctly, or simply... Okay, I, I think I understand what you're saying. So things like, for example, you know, your first paragraph, you know, you want to give a, a quick little synopsis of what you're going to be talking about. You know, because a lot of times people will just kind of read that first paragraph and then they sort of decide whether they're going to go any further. So you want to have a really strong first paragraph that gives them the key point of why they need to read this article. Headings are also great because it breaks up the text, both visually and also when you're reading. And people will also scan headings because they'll see, again, well, what are the topics that you're, the main points that you're making? Same thing with bullets, also a very good thing, and lists, because it's one of those things where you've got numerical lists or bullets that break up the text. And usually there's, again, some sort of like a subheading involved there. So people can really quickly scan it and decide whether this is something that they want to read more about. So all of those kinds of tools are great to have in your writing 
because it just it makes it more readable and more approachable, particularly if you are getting into some you know specifics there. You don't want to you know kill them with all this detail, but if you start to break it up, you can actually it's more forgivable. If you, if you really have to put detail in for, for whatever reason, then the more that you can break it up into those kinds of things with headings, subheadings, bullets, stuff like that, the better it's going to be. And then, you know, you also want to have, make sure that you're closing with a call to action. What is it that you want them to do? You know, do you want them to pick up the phone to call you? Do you want to send them to another piece of content? Uh, maybe you've got, you know, an event coming up. So you want to send somebody from a blog post to, you know, signing up for an event or a newsletter or something, you know, you want to have something for them to do at the end and don't just assume that they're going to do that. Tell them what you want them to do. Super. Well, Edie, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you, Michael. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. If your firm is updating its website, hiring new attorneys, or revamping its brand and marketing materials, give us a call. We'd love to explore collaborative opportunities. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com there. It's just legalmarketing.studio. Would you like to appear on the Legal Marketing Studio or know someone who might? Please send an email to producer at legalmarketing.studio or reach out via the contact page on our website, legalmarketing.studio. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 